welcome. I'm Steve Hambrick, and I'm the pastor here at Vintage. I'm glad that you were here. Today we have the uh, opportunity to hear a great friend of mine, uh, Josh Turner, come and speak this morning. And a lot of you heard Josh a few months ago when he was here. But Josh is uh, planting a church called River City Church. They've met actually for the past three weeks. And God's doing this really great thing in Josh and his wife Sarah in River City Church. And I want to just kind of take this time to share with you a little bit about what we're doing, why he's here, what he's doing, and the connection it has to Vintage. Now, most of you probably know that, that Vintage had a birth, right? It was about five years ago this August. We birthed Vintage 242 Church in our community, and God did this great thing, and we're here today because of that. But we were a church plant. Basically, we were a church that was planted out of Riverstone Church down in the Kennesaw area. And so Josh and his wife Sarah are church plant number six, out of Riverstone Church in the Smyrna area. And I want you to hear that today because as he comes and speaks today and as he shares his heart of what God is doing, I want you to recognize that that Vintage is a church that's part of a larger group of churches, a network of churches. And we we have committed ourselves to be a church that plants other churches. That we want to be a church that's, connect, that's, that's finding areas outside of ourselves, but close enough to us to be in relationship with and to plant a church. And so I want you just to know as he comes today and as he begins to share his story and just begins to share the word that God has for him this morning. I want you just to, to recognize that we as a church are committed to planting churches. Now, we have not talked about it much over the last few years, primarily because we're trying to, we've been trying to get ourselves situated and grounded and founded. But the idea is that God really does want to do this work in us and through us. And so with that in mind, I want to just throw it out here for you to begin to think about, to process, begin to ask questions about, to begin to pray into. And the, and the biggest piece is this, God, when the time comes, would you have me go? Because the idea is, I believe a year from now, if we hopefully are in the process of highlighting a church planter and sending a church out, the reality is that some of you will go. Some of you will be sent out. And as you go, we will be sad that you are leaving because, well, we love you. But we will be excited that you are going because God has this call on your life. And so as Josh comes today, and his, and listen, his word is profound, it's powerful, I believe it will impact all of us. I want you to recognize that what he represents today is just this forward momentum and movement of God, of planting kingdom-minded churches in this community for the purpose of relating together, for the purpose of community transformation. So with that, Josh, why don't you come, let me pray for you. And uh, I'm going to turn that light off because that would be getting on my nerves. So when you were, did you notice that when you were preaching? I did, but I just I trucked right through it. Hey, uh, so is that Hayden? That light all the way in the end. Bring it down because it's like going, he's pulsating. Can you see that? Can you bring it down by itself? It's not going down. You might have to stick with it, man. Can you turn all the lights up? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Okay, yeah. let's pray. Let's do it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Josh and his life. We thank you for he and his wife, Sarah, receiving this call, Lord, to plant. And we're asking, Lord, as he's here today, God, I pray that you would speak to us, God, through the word that he has for us. But also, Lord, I pray that you would begin this work of preparing our own hearts, God, for planting. That, Father, we'll be able to say within the upcoming years that, yes, we have planted a church, a, a transformation network church. 
that, Lord, we would be able to see our people fulfill the calling that you have on their life to go. And so, Father, we bless you. We praise you and thank you for your goodness. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, so yeah, we're part of a network that um, it just is healthy. And it's not the standard right now in a lot of um, churches to be healthy. It looks like it's healthy when a church explodes and it grows. But that's really, for the most part, most of the time, it's just kind of artificial health. Health, biblically, will always be based around the call, and that's to go. I mean, go and make disciples. A church that sins is a church that's healthy. Anytime I share with anybody the model that I'm a part of, people are usually, I have to usually say it twice, because most churches, that would be frowned upon. Take our people, actually you leave and don't come back. That's what, I mean, that's most, I mean, and many of you have been a part of churches like that where we protect our own and we get as big as we can. So I just, I foresee, and I just pray that as you guys do this, that even as he was praying a minute ago, that that God would have already kind of started speaking in your heart. Maybe not to be the pastor. We have somebody coming with us that's planting a church. We're planting a church. They just want to come and watch. Maybe that's, that's you for in a year or two years. And I just think it's awesome to be a part of this whole thing. And I'm going to pray. Father, we need you. Um, we love you. And I just pray, um, as you guys have your eyes closed, I'm just going to ask, I'm going to ask him to, to be very real for you today. And I'm going to ask that you would be willing to step back from all of your conclusions. And so we just pray that in Jesus' name, that any conclusion we've made about you, Jesus, we're just going to set that down. And, and as you look into our eyes through your word, your living word that breathes and is dynamic, that as we speak from it and hear it, it is you. It's not about you. This is, what makes it beautiful is that it is you. And so today as we gather around it, I pray that you would be found looking into people's hearts and that they would be blown away. And that people would say things like, could that have been the Messiah? Because it was too good. And it just doesn't seem like that could be real because it's too good to believe. That's, that's Jesus. And I just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. So historically, um, for me, I, I, I deal with performance. It's just something I've always dealt with, whether in the church or out of the church, whether it's baseball or, I mean, everything. And, um, and so in church, it really translated for me when I became a Christian and even wanted to start leading ministries that it was just it's part of it. You know, it's a scale. I mean, you're raised in a system that tells you you're good or bad based on how you perform. So that is, uh, you can make A's, you can make B's, you can make F's. Um, you can be drafted in your T-ball league in the first round or in the 16th round. And so we're like, it's ingrained in us to be the best we can be. I mean, that's the, the motto of our military. I mean, be the best you can be. And so we come into Christianity, and it's hard to bring that into Christianity because Jesus looks at us and tells us to do it differently. He asks you to believe that he will do the work. And he will be the best that he can be. And our job is then to receive what he did. For me, this has not been easy. It's been a, a pattern for me. I, I, I was one of those guys that could really like say all the right things and make you believe that I was humble. When, in fact, I was not. 
Um, I was good at that. I still am good at it, but I'll stay on my toes. Um, so about five years ago, I went on a search because I was struggling with performance and just kind of either feeling like, here's what happens with performance. Either you perform better than others and you pat yourself on the back and you stick around people who pat you on the back, or you perform worse than others and you hate yourself. Anything based around performance ends in brokenness. And that's the way the enemy kind of always has worked with me is he'll let me do something just that I think is amazing. And, and I have a day where I'm like celebrating myself uh, secretly. And then right behind it will come this awful failure. And, and that's really where he wants you to end. And that's really the only place to end with performance-based Christianity. That's the only place to end. And that's why Jesus has encounters with people in the Bible to teach us how to follow him. And it has nothing to do with how well you behave. Behavior will come from it, but it does not start with that. And it never will. And so there's a story in, um, in John chapter 4, and it's about a woman that interacts and meets Jesus, and she doesn't know it's him. And because of what happens with this woman in this short few moments, she goes from nothing about Jesus to the gospel's biggest soul winner, a woman who just realized she met Jesus. She didn't go through a, a six-step process. She did not take any discipleship courses. She takes off running into a community, and everybody receives Jesus eventually. That is amazing. And it's because she had to look the real Jesus in the eyes and overcome her misconceptions, but he did all the work. And so what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Again, it's really impossible to read too much scripture. I mean, it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's the word. It's beautiful. And so it's going to be 29 verse, 29 chapters. We'll be here till Tuesday. Best message you ever heard. Um, that's just 29 verses. I'm going to read you from here and, and they're going to pull it up on the screen. This is from John four. It says this. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he went. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground. Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from in the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and also his sons did and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Sarcasm entered so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, 
go and call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man that you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming just for a second. Baffling. She tells the Messiah, the Messiah is coming. That there's something in there that we just need to look for one second. She's talking to the Messiah and tells the Messiah that I could be done right now. Our brains should explode at that. She tells the Messiah, the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, see, he'll explain everything. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And goosebumps covered the planet. That's just, that's better than when Rudy runs on the field. That is. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? (laughs) This is just a beautiful chapter. Um, And I'm just going to I'm just going to share it with you today, kind of what it is and, and, and why it's. On my heart, when I started to read this, and this is this has really always been one of my favorite passages. It just there's so there's so much to it. There's, I think you see that Jesus is kind of playful in it more so than we kind of picture. He's a little bit like messing with her, like sitting on her well, letting her dabble in her sarcasm, and and then he drops this bomb and and this prophetic, just astounding. And I love it. But what I always thought this was about when I read it, and I kind of think it is. Is that he's trying to show us that he's trying to pour living water in people and send them. See, this is the new understanding of the gospel. I'll fill you and then you'll go to communities. And in those communities, you'll become like the living well people gather around to receive water, which is beautiful. And I think that's true. And I think there's people in here he's trying to do that with. But as I started to pick it apart, I really feel like what he wanted me to share and what he's taught me. This is a this passage is really a metaphor about religion. And about what it looks like to insert Jesus into religion and then also the effect it has. And the the reason I believe that is, is the passage starts by Jesus having to leave a place because he's catching heat from the religious leaders. Because his message is different. It's not gradable. It's given as a gift and it's about freedom and it involves everybody. So there's no excluded. And so he's having to leave a town to start this chapter. And as he leaves the town, he goes on a road that no Jew would ever travel on. And it's through Samaria. And so he'd have to interact with people who are considered unclean for the Jewish community that you're not even allowed to touch. And so he does that. And then he lands on Jacob's well 
which has a huge amount of spiritual pride connected to it that you hear in her voice. Oh, you're saying you're better than Jacob. Jacob might. You're better. It's Jesus. (laughs) He's better. She doesn't have a clue because her spiritual design was that this well represents for us in our community this awesome God who we loved. And I come here and this is us. And and I love how Jesus comes and sits on that point of like personal pride. He's actually not just like metaphorically. He's on it on the well. To say that he's not dabbling and just being creative and fun is silliness. Because this well for this community represents their whole religious history. It represents their framework. And he sits on it. And I just, the the scripture, and you can pull up Matthew 5, 27. This is perfect for this, if you want to pull this up. He didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but he came to fulfill them. And the greatest two new commandments, to love God and love your neighbor, it's all hinged around this. And he now is embodied in human form on the well that people come to. And he meets a woman there who is carrying baggage. She shows up at the wrong time of day at 12 o'clock when nobody else would be there because she wants to be alone. So she goes to the well. She's sarcastic and cynical. And you hear it when she speaks to him. And I love that he loves that she can do that. And she doesn't have to come like polished. She's just able to be her nasty self that's hiding from people and at a well. And I love that he lets her dabble in that. And she's there and she's thirsty. That's why she's there. So she's thirsty. She's cynical. She's sarcastic. She'd rather be alone than be around people. And it's eerily similar to exactly the kind of baggage that we receive when we place our trust in religious frameworks. It's religious baggage. It's trying to earn what you can't earn from God. And if you've ever done that, all the things that I just explained are the fruit of it. That's the only thing. You want to be alone. You're sarcastic and cynical because it's not possible. You can't. You don't trust people. You want to avoid it. And Jesus meets her there. And this is where he kind of wants to start this playful encounter. And so you see in verse seven, his first question to her automatically does three things. Please stay with me today. It's not too early anymore. But his first question does three things. Will you give me a drink? Was not about will you give me a drink? But it was because Three rules were just broken in her incredibly important religious framework. One was a male would never interact with a female without her husband there, ever, especially in this society. Two, a Jew would never interact with a Samaritan. And three, and probably most important, a rabbi would never even look at a woman. In fact, it's recorded that rabbis used to, when they would see a woman, and Jesus was considered a rabbi, they would cover their eyes and try to to bump into stuff to show that they wouldn't even do that. So it was like this kind of like play on who would who would hurt themselves while not looking at a woman because you just wouldn't do that. So he breaks all three of those rules, which is why she says. Did you ask me for a drink? Do you not know that I'm a Samaritan? And he starts this off by trying to destroy the wrong questions that she's bringing, like a lot of us bring these wrong questions See, we think the Bible is supposed to be this book that answers all our questions. Honestly, the Bible 
tears up our questions, doesn't give us answers a lot of times, and gives us new questions. And then makes us rely on it and people to get the answers through community. Does that make sense? So he says, here's the questions you bring to the table. Now I'm going to destroy that framework. And I love how he does this. So in verse 10 through 13, he starts to mention this new source. And he says, if, if you knew who it was you were talking to, you would have asked him for this living water. And she examines his physical persona and notices that he has no tools to do so. She's still in this well. She's like, okay, okay, you don't have what you need to get me water out of there. I'm sure you knew that because you seem intelligent, but you cannot get me water. And Jesus is trying to show her this new framework doesn't require tools. It doesn't require you to come and work. It requires you to be near me, whom she didn't even know that she was talking to. He's saying, let's put the tools down. Let's put the baggage down. Let's put all the things down that are keeping you weighed down. And then in verse 17, he drops a huge prophetic bomb on her. And he calls out. I mean, honestly, there's not a prophetic conference that would teach you how to do this. It would actually tell you not to do this. Call out the sin in someone when you first meet them. You would not be allowed to pray with people at the church. They would not let you. Jesus is like, I'm just going to tell you your sin right now, and then I'm going to let it sit there. If like, we did that, we would never do that. We would, we would totally make it sound a lot prettier than that. And it would, we'd give like four or five encouraging things, and then we might maybe mention something. Jesus is like, you know what? You've had five husbands. And the one that you're with now is not your husband. Enjoy dealing with that for a moment. And that's when you see her. She, she starts going in a whole different direction. And here's, here's the thing about what Jesus does. And this is why he can do it. Because he's trying to show her. Listen, your value in this system, this pride around this old well, this religious, let's earn what we can get. You're disqualified from your own system. You're he's showing her you've had five husbands and now you're living with a sixth. The very thing that you attest to disqualifies you from connection to it. Even your own people would say that you're dirty and filthy. And he does that to then show her. But I have living water. So he shows the brokenness to then bring the life. And it's good when Jesus does that. To avoid our sin is like gives him no room to come in and fill us. Yes, we're all disqualified. Yes, we've done. So the question is, I just have a question for you. Have you ever had him look you in the eye in the midst of your nastiest shame? Have you ever had him? Have you ever had a moment where. You didn't do what you needed to do to get in his presence. You didn't do the four songs, read the two chapters, and then pray a little bit. Have you ever had a moment where you were so caught, there's really no escape from it, and you are guilty? And in your guilt, him let it linger enough to show you how he feels about you even through it. Have you had that moment yet? Because that's what he wants with you. He wants to look you in the eye and you're a hundred percent caughtness to show you 
that you will always be disqualified from a system that you're trying to earn back favor from him. It will have to be a gift that he gives and he's not carrying tools and you can set yours down. And he offers it as a gift for you to receive. And then it starts to get it starts to kind of hit the fan here a little bit. And I just want to I just want to read you a couple of my favorite passages. Isaiah 55 one says, come to me, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. And Matthew five, six, it says, blessed are those who are hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled filled. I just want to throw this out to you guys. A lot of times, like I I grew up in a really spiritual environment in our churches. We like to kind of rev things up. We like to kind of get you to the point where, you know, and so I've had people even look at me and say, why are you not thirstier? I I just don't think we know how to label what thirst looks like. I don't think this lady even knew how to label what thirst looked like for you. Thirst might just be that you're just dry and empty. Maybe there's not this. Oh, I want you so bad. Jesus moment that maybe you're waiting for that moment. It's like that again. Oh, I want him so bad. I need him so bad. But maybe he's saying to you, you're too thirsty for that to happen. You just need to stay seated because you're empty and you're dry and you're cynical and you don't want to hear another sermon and you'd rather not even be in this room right now. Maybe he's asking you to sit still and just receive and maybe Like this woman, you haven't known that he's been the one that's been talking to you. Maybe he's been speaking to you and you didn't even know it was him because it was too good. And so what happens with this woman? Is that she finally expresses a hope. So he says this, he drops this prophetic bomb. And this is the point where he looks at she looks at the Messiah and says, she, she expresses, she knows, she knows historically this is going to happen. And she's talking to, and she expresses her first hope as he's tapped into. And she realizes, you know, he, he will be the answer. He will be the answer. And he's right in front of her. And this is where the goosebumps cover the planet. He looks at her and he says, I am he. And I just believe right now for you guys, a lot of you in this room, you've been even searching for him. And he's looking at you. And he's even been talking to you and you've even said to him, you know, the Messiah is coming in your own mind. You know, when he comes, I'll dream again. When he comes, I'll be full again. When he comes, I'll be passionate again. When he comes, I'll have the strength to not sin again. And he's already standing next to you. And he's looking at you and he's saying, I am he. I am he and I'm here to fill you. And he wants to do it more than you want it. And. The craziest and the coolest thing about this passage is that she leaves her bucket at the well. She went to this well to get water, to drink it, and she leaves it and takes off without drinking the water. All of a sudden, everything's changed. Again, she didn't go to a conference. She had an encounter with Jesus, and the natural outcome of that was passion. Like unquestionable passion. She didn't think through it. The bucket's there and she goes and as she's running and running, she then asks a question as she gets kind of far away. And she says, I think I just met a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She had the experience. It was real. She took off. 
And I think this is where a lot of us kind of land with this. I think a lot of us have an experience with Jesus that's very real. And it was like that. It started like that. And we got to get distance from that experience or from him. And we start to ask the question, could that could that have been the Messiah? I just feel like for you guys in this room today. That he wants to remind you of some things. He wants to remind you of sometimes he spoke to you of how good he is of why you started in this. And maybe for some of you, you, you don't really know why you're here. Maybe some of you haven't actually tasted and seen his goodness because all you know of Christianity is the rules and regulation and then judgment. And maybe you haven't met him. So today, I just believe he wants for you to see him as he looks at you in transparency. Him saying to you, I know what's in you. And then just letting it rest. And then you just being filled Harvest, if you want to, if you want to go ahead and come up, I want to spend a little time right here just kind of praying for you guys. I think I want to pray for three specific things. If you're, if you're one of those people who, who you've had that experience, but you kind of let your mind come into play. Um, maybe you were like one of those passionates that you, the young passionates that you know got really had that experience with Jesus and like you were like prophesying to walls and like you were praying for like bathroom stalls like just doing dumb stuff like you were so passionate about Jesus it doesn't even matter like whatever uh, but but then you got some distance and like it it was a little bit empty I just believe he wants to remind you that. What happened with you and him, the thing that was too good to be true, the beginnings, was really him. And that he's not done with that. That he's placed dreams in some of your hearts. That he's waiting to help you realize. And that he's even here now, right in front of you, speaking to you. I am he who spoke that dream into your heart. I am he who showed you goodness that you couldn't even fathom. I just believe there's a few of you today that... That he's going to walk back into that. And it's going to click and feel right. There's people in this room who feel the same things that this woman felt. You're kind of done with it. You're kind of done with it. You feel cynical. You haven't felt his presence in a long time. It's become more about what we're doing than him. You just feel empty. He just wants to give you drink. He wants you to be filled with him. And you don't have to start jumping up and doing weird stuff. Like, that's not... Some of the most beautiful moments I've ever experienced with Jesus are some of the quietest moments in my life. You don't have to, like, prove it through your actions. Just let Him be Him, and you be before Him and let Him show you. Those are always the best moments. Yeah, so I'm going to pray, Father, right now for those people that are in this room, that you just wanted to encourage this morning. I pray that right now you would just flood this room with such a strong presence of hope that your Holy Spirit would truly be here and that would you, you would definitely God be our joy, but you would also be our comforter right now. God, that we would drop the bucket he just wants you to drop the bucket and stop trying to attain what he's doing for you for free. 
And you can come and be honest with him. And so, Jesus, we just thank you that you're here in this room. Let us say of you after today, could that have been the Messiah? Is he really that good? I just thank you, Father. There's a few different ways you can respond today. Um, Every week you guys have offering. You can come and respond by placing your offering in the baskets. And there's also uh, prayer teams up here for you to interact with through prayer. And then a really beautiful way to respond is through through communion, which to me is, uh, it's, it's hard to not even just weep doing that. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood for you, which is tangibly um, what he would do for you. And so I'm, I'm going to release you guys to, to respond how you will. Um, thank you, guys.